even within this month, you know, we've seen a lot of change and you can say it's happening every day, but it's one of the incredible uh, risk and danger for brands right now uh, who are communicating. It's, you know, certainly not an all or nothing. Um, I.e., There's no easy way to say, you know, don't do this writ large, but it's, it's one where mindfulness is essential. Mindfulness of tone, mindfulness of public's anxiety, mindfulness to where people's heads are at right now. Um, we uh, subscribe to the uh, Angus Reid uh, Daily Tracker, which is a wonderful email product, by the way. Um, and uh, the latest one said that 64% of Canadians in their panel said it was in poor taste to advertise right now. Now, does that mean that 64% of people are going to take up pitchforks if they see that? No, of course not. They see thousands of ads a day and people might even remember some of them. But it's um, it certainly means that there's a strong uh, vigilance in the public right now. Curious to know what industry-leading marketers are looking to achieve in the ever-evolving digital landscape? The How Agencies Thrive podcast by StackAdapt is dedicated to helping the new breed of forward-thinking, savvy, lean, and mean marketers win in the rapidly evolving digital landscape. Time to thrive. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Vitaly and I'm the host of this podcast. This episode is going to be all about public relations and crisis communication. I really liked the way Lanny explained the difference between advocacy communication and brand communication work. What I learned is that there's a big opportunity for brands to align their messaging around some key trends and fundamental industry shifts. Ultimately, using this advocacy as a thought leadership tool can be a very strong vehicle to build brand awareness. Additionally, what I like about this episode is the very tactical know-how on how to be in market during sensitive times and how to navigate challenging times to build stronger relationships with consumers. Now it's time to get some deeper insights from our guest for today's episode, Lanny Cardo from National PR. Well, thank you everybody for joining and listening to Stack It Up's podcast. Today, we'll start by introducing both hosts. My name is Brandon, and I'm one of our sales directors at Stack It Up. So my role is primarily overseeing the digital media strategy and execution across one of our sales teams. And I'm joined by my partner in crime, Amika. Yes. Thank you, Brando. My name is Amika Evans, and I'm an account director at Stack Adapt. And my role primarily is to be of assistance and work very closely with our clients. Uh, and that. lastly, we're joined by our guest today, Lani Cardo, who's the vice president and head of digital media strategy at National Public Relations in Toronto. So, Lanny, let's start by talking about yourself a little bit. Why don't you let everybody know what you do, how long you've worked in the industry, and what you would consider your strongest area of expertise? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you very much for uh, for having me on today, and I've uh, been looking forward to this, and uh, really looking forward to our chats. So, to your question, I guess I come from a bit of a political background myself. I was kind of a political staffer before I was involved in uh, in digital communications. I was a early adopter, you might say, of bringing uh, digital. Uh, technologies to politics. I was working on the conservative side of the fence back then in Canadian politics. And um, I think it was just a matter of good timing more than anything. Uh, just being a, a young staffer, a bit nerdy, uh, perhaps, who understood the tools that were available at a time uh, when they were just coming online and uh, and figuring out a way to incorporate those into work as a political staffer uh, in Ottawa. Uh, and uh, did that for a lot of years, actually, and uh, didn't move into um, 
private sector communications until doing that for quite a while. Uh, and I made that jump into more of a public affairs uh, style of uh, communications firms for quite a while um, and uh, using those same kind of digital skills in that context uh, for client services in that way. And uh, then a roundabout long way, uh, maybe a couple more detours and stops in Ottawa and Washington, D.C. along the way, and uh, ultimately ended up uh, arriving uh, at National Public Relations here in Toronto, a big agency for the first time in my life and my career, and using those same kind of digital tools uh, as they exist now in 2020. The world's changed a lot since uh, since I started but uh, in this stuff, but it's uh, it's exciting. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that rundown, Lanny. It's very cool that you started off in um, politics and now you are the digital guru that I know you to be. So that's <laughs> well, wonderful. You, you never really leave politics. It's like Hotel California, right? You you check out, but you never leave. So you always keep one foot in it. And, you know, you might get the odd uh, phone call now and then mm-hmm. to, to help out this thing or that thing. So it's uh, it's kind of a lifetime uh, lifetime deal, I think. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So i like to get to know, just for our listeners, um, you know, just a little bit about, you know, what are you up to in national PR a day in the life of uh, yourself or your colleagues? Sure, absolutely. Well, it's been uh, it's been one heck of a fast year, and uh, my one year anniversary uh, at the firm I think happened just as uh, as the world was in its last week of uh, kind of operating normally about a month ago. Uh, this being uh, recorded uh, in April, um, we um, you know as I mentioned, it's my first time working at a large agency, and so uh, this is a, it's been an eye opening experience. Um, the uh, the team is uh, absolutely fantastic that I lead here at this at this office. Um, the day in life of at National might be similar to that of the other big agencies in the sense that um, you know it's a it's a fast buzzing place. There's a lot of people. Um, I've been to your office before, Mika, and it, it's kind of a similar vibe as as you guys have at Stack Adapt. Um, you know, this big open concept office. Everyone works in uh, everyone works in practice areas. Everyone is, uh, uh, you know, well, I mean, from my perspective, it seems like everyone's so young, uh, <laughs> but they're, uh, you know, they're uh, at least in the digital team, they are and uh, extremely tech savvy, um, very, very fast workers. Everyone just does a remarkable amount of work in a day. Uh, <laughs> and uh, everyone's, it's it's client services. And so everyone, uh, everyone has a variety of different clients that that they're working for at any given point in time. Uh, most of our team is specialized in the sense that we have people that work a little bit more on the content side of the spectrum, people that work more on the technical side, um, ad buying, SEO, SEM, that kind of work. Um, and then we have people who um, who specialize more in certain types of work, uh, maybe more brand communications, maybe more uh, uh, on the side of public affairs uh, and advocacy work, which we I know we're going to get around to talking about today. So it's a so it's a big office, and you know one of the nice things about working in digital and the way we've structured our team at National, and certainly the way that other firms uh, have tended to be doing this as well, is we we use the digital team as a bit of a hub that serves the whole organization. Uh, when you have a little cluster of specialized skills like that, a lot of the way a lot of the same way that people structure creative teams in agencies as well. Um, you know whether it's our capital markets team or whether it's our healthcare team or whether it's a consumer team, uh, they can draw upon 
on the skills, the specialized skills of the digital team to build into their work because it's pretty rare in 2020 that you don't have a, an RFP or a, an engagement of some sort that doesn't require digital in some way, shape or form, whether it's a, a content calendar or advertising or or maybe something else all, all together. But uh, so we sort of uh, we sort of operate as this little hub. What it means for us is that uh, day to day, um, no two days are alike. Uh, it means we get a really wide variety of clients we get to work on in digital, um, which is really fun. Uh, in addition to that, it makes you a better consultant because when you have, uh, you know, a dozen different client, uh, clients to serve, uh, you learn a lot about the different kinds of needs that are out there and you get a chance to try everything. So it's nice. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we both really appreciate the insight there. And we're both curious. Um, we want to get your take on it. Given your long history in both the political and public relations space, let's talk about it a little bit. So from your perspective, and, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, for you, what do you think is kind of the biggest difference between crisis communication uh, versus brand communication? Or like you mentioned, more advocacy work versus brand work? And is there one you prefer doing or how differently do yourself and your team uh, approach each of those scenarios? Oh, those are great questions. And uh, I look forward to getting into those. So, I mean, this is this has been one of the biggest changes moving out of that political space and into a firm that, you know, involves clients that involve uh, everything from, you know, food and beverage to consumer goods to personal care and beauty. Like the last year I've spent uh, um, with some really interesting uh, different kinds of clients that I never had before. And so I'm starting to have a much better understanding of, uh, of the way to answer this question than I had before. And, uh, you know, my current, uh, you know, we never play favorites with clients, but one of the one that I'm absolutely having the most fun on right now is, uh, is a major, uh, food and, uh, uh, food producer in the, and, uh, it's completely consumer work and not a shred of it is political. And it's, a it's just unbelievably fun. So I guess brand and advocacy, I guess, as a distinction between the two, some people like to say that brand communications, it, it's almost like a very strictly aligned one way sort of offering. It's a lot about consistency and repetition and, and keeping things together in the sense of what you're uh, what you're saying at all given times. Advocacy, I, I liken to thinking more like a two way dialogue um, or actually better described like maybe more of a 360 degree view. So you might you might want to be comfortable when you're doing advocacy communications, entertaining dialogue around an issue, including voices that aren't necessarily yours. Um, perhaps you're bringing in third party speakers, um, you know, maybe maybe external advocates. You're you're trying to have that entire conversation. So, I mean, you know, if I was going to if I was going to just make a really gross oversimplification, you know, that brand version of the communication might be download our healthcare app and the advocacy version of that might be. Learn about how apps will drive the future of self-service in healthcare, or something like that. So, um, again, you're, it's more of a, a you know, advocacy is involving a lot of thought leadership these days. It's involving a lot of two-way engagement with on a topic, and you have to be willing to have it get a little bit messy at times. Whereas I think of, I often think of brand uh, communications as as, uh, as very streamlined, very slick, um, consistent, um, orchestrated, uh, but more one way in nature. I don't know if that's making any sense, but that's that's one way to think about it. Um, another, and you know, maybe this is another short version. Uh, you know, a mentor of mine once said that in brand communications, 
you want the categories to succeed. But in advocacy communications, it's a lot more of a zero-sum game in the sense that there's an ask and you you need something of whether it's government or or some target like that. And it it's very much a, a, a zero-sum in its competitive environment. Whereas in brand, you want the category to succeed. You don't want the category to fail. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it, um, Lanny. So I think for myself, I've learned a lot just between brand communication and advocacy communications from that realm. So thank you. Just wanted to dive into our next question. And, um, you know, it's, pro- it's kind of a good segue, actually. Um, so given the current circumstances, in your opinion, how should brands be shifting their message accordingly? Um, and is it okay to keep pushing your product? I'm also interested in your opinion, you know, just because I caught wind of a uh, campaign that ran in for McDonald's in Brazil. So I'm interested in your opinion on how major brands have reacted so far outside of that and with that one as well. Oh, absolutely. And so, you know, it merits saying that we're recording this uh, in mid-April. And so we're, uh, you know, we're a month into uh, this new world right now. And uh, even within this month, you know, we've seen a lot of change and you can say it's happening every day. But it's one of incredible uh, risk and danger for brands right now uh, who are communicating. It's, you know, certainly not an all or nothing. Um, I.e., there's no easy way to say, you know, don't do this writ large. But it's, it's one where mindfulness is essential. Mindfulness of tone, mindfulness of public's anxiety, mindfulness to where people's heads are at right now. Um, we uh, subscribe to the uh, Angus Reid uh, Daily Tracker, which is a wonderful email product, by the way. Um, and uh, the latest one said that 64% of Canadians in their panels said it was in poor taste to advertise right now. Now, does that mean that 64% of people are going to take up pitchforks if they see that? No, of course not. They see thousands of ads a day and people might even remember some of them. But it's um, it certainly means that there's a strong uh, vigilance in the public right now about what's being perceived to be, uh, quote-unquote, you know, opportunistic, which is, you know, a huge red flag right now or uh, or insensitive to that mood. So I think it's extremely risky. It's not to say that it's without, um, it's not to say that you should, uh, and it's not to say that, that everyone should, because, you know, while you still have to be mindful of things, and I mentioned tone, but also the rules, I mean, you know, showing an ad with a large crowd of people right now, even if you shot that ad, you know, last year, it still looks weird in the context where we're getting messages from our health officials and governments saying, don't congregate, don't socialize in groups. It would be strange and it would look inappropriate to have an ad that had that kind of visual. So again, mindfulness. But uh, let's say you were uh, a manufacturer of you know, at-home exercise equipment or something, right? I mean, this is your time to shine in the sense that there's a massive and surging demand for what you're making. Uh, does it mean that you have to... Um, completely, you know, opt out of out of advertising at this moment when people are in fact searching for your product. No, it doesn't, but it does mean that you have to be especially sensitive. It does mean that you don't have, you know, a corona sale right now. You know, it doesn't it means that you have to be sensitive to the fact that, you know, maybe you should play this one a little more flat, not be glib, be careful about your about what you might think might be a creative and fun way to build off of this situation. It's probably not. Uh, people will probably react negatively if you get too cute, if it's too on the nose. So I would say that, you know, you have to uh, 
you have to just be extremely cautious, but recognizing that there are people that have to advertise right now. And uh, while some campaigns might be better to, to defer or delay or, or alter in some way, shape or form or move, uh, you know, move budgets here and there, um, it's certainly a, a, a big red stop sign for everybody. Yeah, thanks a lot, Lanny. And I think something we've done as well from Stack Adapt's approach to handling how you know brands are, are changing their messaging appropriately. Uh, we've had a lot of our clients come come up to us and ask us what what should they do. And I think, you know, although there is some some small variance by vertical, ultimately our message is remaining the same where if you are going to continue to advertise more than anything, be genuine, be empathetic and be tactful. And you know, if your brand is continuing to run, if you are an essential service, help your consumers, update them on your supply chain, let them know how you can continue consuming an essential product from the safety of your home, as opposed to being tone deaf and, you know, just trying to sell people uh, new banking credit cards at a time where not only is it a, a social pandemic, you know, we're, we're kind of on the verge of another financial crisis where the markets are, are equally down um, in part as a result of this. So just from, from Stack It Up's point of view, and we actually had a webinar about this last week, not only talking about the digital media trends we're seeing as a result of this, but ultimately, you know, it's more than ever the right time to, to be genuine and just be empathetic and mindful to who you're speaking to. Because like you said, there's a lot of people who are saying you shouldn't be advertising at all, but ultimately we know that's not going to be the case. So if you are going to continue to advertise, be mindful of how you're communicating your message and alter it in a way that's genuinely going to help people as opposed to just trying to continue to sell your product. Oh, absolutely. Um, empathy is so essential right now and putting yourself uh, in the shoes of audiences uh, for your product or service. It's just so essential right now, more than ever. I mean, it's always essential to think of how your your uh, your message is going to be received by somebody who might be, for instance, hearing it for the first time, uh, but it's even more essential now. Yeah, totally. And not to, you know, not to put a highlight on any brands individually, but one piece of content that I personally have really resonated well with has been Nike, where, you know, they're getting involved and in, in telling people, you know, stay home, do the right thing, but they're doing it in a way that's also almost empowering their audience in a way with their messages. You know, if you want to play for millions, now's your chance, stay at home. That's one that I personally quite like. I don't know how you guys are, if you're mind readers or what might be the uh, case, but the two examples that I brought in my head uh, to speak about today uh, were Nike as a positive example of uh, <laughs> of their uh, their stay home message that they had. And, you know, their play inside play for the world, which was, I just thought, so perfect and so authentic to their brand because, you know, they're this like, this aggressive hard driving brand normally and and they managed to actually take a a, a COVID-19 friendly message that's still authentic to their brand uh, with the hashtag uh, play inside play for the world. It was fantastic. And the negative example I was going to use of just sort of hollow virtue signaling and empty gestures was the McDonald's Brazil separate the arches and social distancing message, which was kind of like the 180 degree wrong way to go about, uh, you know, like uh, recognizing uh, this environment. So, uh, you, you know, between you guys, you guys completely must have stolen my notes on this one. But that's uh, those, those are those are perfect examples of sort of how to and how not to. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, Amika, from your end, I'm curious, when you've been working with kind of your your roster of clients, um, Lanny included here, um, mm-hmm. curious to know, have any of you know the brands or agencies you're working with um, taken a, a particularly interesting approach to this pandemic? Or has it been sort of in line with everything we've communicated so far? Absolutely. So, um, so with regards to the pandemic, a lot of uh, the clients and agencies, and, you know, bear in mind, um, different verticals for some, um, have taken quite different approaches. So um, from a travel standpoint, um, obviously, we all know that that is one of the hardest hit verticals um, in this pandemic. But a really unique thing that some of my clients have taken it with this approach is, um, you know, again, I think the really key thing um, right now is just the shift in messaging and being tactful. So, you know, working with, um, we're collaborating in the sense. So working together, trying to find the right messaging, you know, regrouping and really putting forth a really strong strategy that's going to get out there um, and, and be tactful in light of the situation that's going on right now. You know, happy to report that uh, we don't have any red flags with regards to any sort of messaging that's going to market on my end. Um, and we like to keep it that way, absolutely, to what Lanny's point was. So, yeah, so that's, that's basically um, what it is on my end here. Yeah, that's great. And then uh, a question now for Lanny, just because he's so involved is, you know, how can PR agency, you know, like National or, or any of the other ones, pivotal role during, you know, the current pandemic that that we're going through. Um, and then I'm also curious more, more internally, just for national PR in itself, have you seen any drastic shifts in, in how you're conducting your business? Uh, I guess both internally and, and with your clients? Because mm-hmm. we we definitely have. Yeah, no, I'd be curious to hear um, how uh, how you guys are handling that as well. Actually, I'd, I'm looking forward to hearing you uh, discuss that. But uh, to the first part of your question, I think when you look at client services in general and you look at the uh, companies that are consultants and they're providing advice, I think you always owe it to your clients to being uh, an objective sounding board. One of the advantages of having a consultant in the first place, uh, going to an agency in the first place, is that you're free of the internal blind spots that you might have. You're free of the internal pressures that you might have within the organization, um, You know the way we've done things or perhaps internal politics, that sort of thing. So one of the nice things about being a consultant is that you're always able to provide objective advice, uh, honest advice. Uh, you can be a sounding board for your clients uh, during this time. And all those sensitivities we talked about before, empathy and, and understanding public anxieties at this moment and having that experience of having a dozen other clients that you can draw from in the back of your mind in terms of you know the way that the mood of the public is right now. Um, you can bring all that knowledge and wisdom to your clients and be uh, sometimes a tough, uh, tough love kind of advice for them, perhaps uh, in cases like this. And maybe... Maybe it is a case of having to say, listen, like, I really don't think that uh, this message is, is, you know, is going to go over very well right now in this climate. So, you know, I think that agencies in general can uh, can certainly uh, can certainly play that role. At the same time, they also I mean, you know, in a positive sense, you know, it's a wonderful opportunity for thinking creatively and, and thinking of what you can do and thinking of what might be a, a good opportunity. You know, um, I think there's lots and lots of opportunities for corporate social responsibility right now and corporate leadership. Um, you know, we've all seen those wonderful examples of, and they don't have to be big to be wonderful. I'm going to preface this by saying that they don't have to be large scale, um, small fashion um, shops in Toronto who are making masks. And 
they're not making a lot of masks. They're not going to serve an entire nation, uh, but they're making some and they're doing that within the capabilities and talents and skills that they have. And, and that's, that's, you know, a real contribution when, when rolled out in the right way, it's good for people to know that their clients and stakeholders and all the rest. Um, you know, we saw the hand sanitizer, uh, work that was being done, uh, from distilleries and things like that, mm-hmm. like wonderful stories. So, there's opportunities for creativity uh, right now in this, um, and it doesn't have to be all fun and games. It can be serious in, in tone, but uh, I think that consultants have a good role to play in uh, in identifying opportunities for that sort of thing as well. Uh, and again, just having that longer view as well, because at some point we're going to be coming out on the other side of this, and that preparation has to happen uh, at some point. And uh, another opportunity for uh, consultants uh, are to uh, think of uh, that path as well. Because when you're in the middle of this, it's all consuming, but we are going to be coming out on the other side of it. Yeah, 100%. And I think kind of stack it out from a value standpoint is, is equally aligned where we still have to conduct a business, but more than anything, you know, we're, we're treating this whole situation and our relationship with our clients the same way we're doing internally. You know, we're, we're still going to be there and, and make almost consultative recommendations as everyone's vendor but more than that you know we're we're trying to do more to care about all of our clients as people and really look to be a resource for them as people first before we get into you know helping with them with all their strategies so the same way mm-hmm. we're we're doing everything we can for our internal employees to make sure they've transitioned as as smoothly as possible to the work from home life we're trying to do with um, all of our external clients as well and and so far, I'm I'm really positively not surprised, but almost not giddy either, but just very happy to see how everyone we're working with, both internally and externally, is is making the most of this situation and understanding that yes, it's you know uh, might be a challenging time right now, but we are going to come out on the other side, and and when we do, everyone alike is going to be better equipped to handle the change in messaging when when we get back in, um, as opposed to kind of what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point, Brando. And um, just to piggyback that, I almost felt, you know, um, one thing that I've learned, I've learned how to pivot very fast. And so I almost took, um, you know, going back to that consultancy role, I almost had like a PR hat in mid of crisis. And, you know, going back to the education piece and teaching the clients and, you know, being there for them, you know, with any questions that we may have, it wasn't so much selling. Um, it was more so hearing, understanding getting on uh, our Google Hangouts or Zoom conferences and, um, you know, putting a face, a kind face, you know, a familiar face and, you know, just doing regular check-ins. Um, so, yeah, which actually is, uh, you know, a good segue to my next question, because I want to shift back to crisis management. And I want to understand what are your go-to strategies when responding and how do you isolate the problem, Lanny? Oh, sure. Well, crisis management, um, you know, especially from people that come out of politics and end up in uh, in uh, consulting. I mean, it's uh, one of the things that politics does prepare you fairly well for is uh, crisis communications. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, I think I think the uh, and that's that's certainly a fun part of uh, of agency work, too, is that there are uh, opportunities where you're in those kind of uh, you know, stressful, but exciting, but important uh, moments, uh, consequential moments where you communicate in a crisis. And 
So, I mean, I, I'd be a, a poor crisis communicator if I didn't start by saying that the best time uh, to prepare for your crisis communication is well before it starts. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you dust off that plan that you've been revisiting regularly and updating and you identified all those spokespeople and, and your plan, right? You have those, right? But uh, of course, in reality, uh, we don't always have the luxury of uh, of having uh, those plans made in advance. And uh, I think every uh, time crisis strikes an organization, it, it's often uh, the impetus for maybe creating the, the crisis plan for next time. But uh, anyway, it's once you do find yourself in it, um, you know, it's, of course, important not to think of crises as and your response to them rather as like a monolithic thing. It's not a one time deal, one and done. It's a process. Uh, you you need to start right away with identifying your various audiences and figuring out which which audiences need need to hear what messages what they need to uh, be hearing at that moment prioritize that um, you have to put yourself in their shoes and understand what they're coming into in terms of having knowledge of the situation and tailoring that develop your message development to that. Uh, in developing those messages, you need to be direct. They need to show leadership. You need to lead with empathy uh, for the situation. You need to gather all those facts, wrangle them from wherever that you're getting them from. Uh, start with what you know and not speculate. There, uh, There is a chance, of course, that that further negative developments might come down the line later. Uh, you should foreshadow that because people can handle bad news, but they can't handle surprises, as I like to say. Um, and of course, then uh, as you begin to message through the crisis, developing a regular update schedule, sticking to it uh, religiously. And as you start to think about your uh, your media strategy, you should, of course, think of the tools that are at your disposal, those instant mediums like Twitter and Facebook and how you can use those uh, during this as well as official record sources. So, you know, that's kind of your initial way through. As you come out of it, um, it's also important people people sometimes forget monitoring and uh, and of course a recovery strategy and a brand building or a brand rebuilding I should say strategy coming out of it too. So you know most crises uh, most crises follow that general path even though every crisis is is distinct um, and uh, it's certainly uh, one of the most uh, thrilling parts of uh, either political communications or agency communications uh, to be uh, to be part of a of a team that that's helping uh, either a client or a politician or, or someone through that. Yeah, that that's great. And uh, it actually kind of begs the question from my end, just because I'm, I'm a bit removed. I'd love to learn from both Amika and yourself, how you typically work with Stack Adapt to piggyback off of crisis management. Would love to learn more about, um, you know, the day-to-day working relationship between yourself and the entire Stack Adapt team, Amika included, and maybe some areas where, um, you know, you typically rely on Stack Adapt for a quick turnaround in a time-sensitive crisis management situation. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, you know, I mean, and I won't. I'll try not to limit this to crisis in uh, specifically, but uh, I'll certainly uh, work from that mindset. You know, uh, I guess on the platform side of things, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be on this uh, podcast if I uh, if I didn't uh, really believe in what uh, in the service you guys offered. Um, I've had nothing but good uh, experiences so far working with you guys, and so so first of all, I'll start with that. But uh, one, on the platform side, I mean the the fact that it's kind of that blend of self serve but assistance is available is great because uh, sometimes during a crisis or in the aftermath of one, that assistance might become very uh, might become very valuable. Uh, you guys are always 
is really responsive, which is great. But uh, sometimes you're just you're just strapped for resources, and and the uh, the self serve platform is uh, is pretty easy to work with. But you know, if it came down to uh, needing that extra half an hour back in your day, the fact that uh, you guys have uh, reps to help out with that with that setup work is is fantastic. Likewise, uh, the creative studio, uh, depending on the size of the organization. Uh, that you're working with, maybe you're uh, uh, maybe you're a small company, maybe you're a small practitioner, maybe you're uh, a small uh, company uh, that uh, doesn't have a, a house creative team. Uh, having that creative studio that can help make the ad uh, look right and uh, formatted properly is a huge value add in uh, in, in times of uh, limited uh, limited time. Um, and uh, just the ability to drop reporting data out of the platform at any point in time, so you can send it and update it. 11 p.m. with data that is accurate as of 11 p.m. Um, you know, no one, no phone calls need to be made, no requests or emails need to go in. I can just log in and uh, and draw that data out whenever the uh, check-in time is. So having that full reporting platform is really fantastic. On the administrative side, um, you know, uh, it provides little things that are just as important that you don't think of, but having a simple and straightforward billing process that doesn't uh, that doesn't require uh, a ton of uh, paperwork and uh, complicated approvals and uh, everything can be done pretty quickly with you know uh, click and sign online forms and everything's just go go go. Again, those minutes add up, right? So 15 minutes during a crisis to straighten out a an IO and a purchasing uh, system um, is those minutes matters. And having that, uh, having that and access to uh, your team is fantastic for that as well. So that's, uh, that's all stuff that I appreciate. And it's uh, the faster the pace of the business. And maybe it's not even a crisis. Maybe it's just a, maybe it's just a really busy week and uh, having the, those kind of uh, resources is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Lenny. Um, and for our listeners, I just want to, let y'all know that I did not pay Lanny to say all those kind things about <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is from the heart. Um, um, just to kind of bridge off what you were saying, Lanny, um, another thing, especially I think that is very uh, successful um, when we run, you know, be it crisis campaigns or campaigns that just need to go up uh, very quickly from an audience standpoint is, and what I also like to lean on, um, when it, providing some strategy is uh, our custom audience segment. So being able just to input some keywords and key phrases based on, you know, the topic at hand, um, using the browsing behavior to identify um, uh, the users that are reading about that topic. And then the look back window is very powerful, right? So, you know, if I'm just going back to, you know, the topic of crisis, you know, perhaps that crisis is really something that's in the news for X amount of days, uh, let's say, you know, three days, and I only want to collect the users for that time. Um, it's very powerful and only and owning in on those users that have read about that uh, topic in that past three days. So I think that's something that is very um, measured to be such a successful uh, execution when it comes to, you know, campaigns going up very quickly, be it crisis or just regular brand campaigns on that side as well. Right. I didn't even get into the uh, into some of the advantages of of the the targeting systems and everything you guys have in place. I, uh, you know, being in Canada, we, uh, you know, we have privacy laws that are what they are. And they're, uh, you know, good for good for consumers in the sense that they offer uh, a bit more protection uh, 
than uh, than our our neighbors uh, do in the states. Uh, but it does mean that sometimes the uh, you know the the audience targeting available in Canada is not quite as specific as uh, as some of our uh, colleagues in the states are used to. Uh, but you guys have some really pretty uh, some really good um, have some really good options for us that we've uh, that we've enjoyed using in terms of uh, finding those niche audiences. Yeah, and I think from there, you know, we could we could probably transition to a a lighter closing topic. But first, really want to thank both uh, Lanny and Amika for, for participating here. And Lanny, I've got one final question to you as, as we sort of wrap up. Um, in, our, in our planning call over video, I noticed about eight bikes in your apartment. <laughs> uh, did I see any trail bikes there? Were they all road bikes? And uh, what do you typically like to ride well, in Toronto? Yeah, no, you definitely saw a trail bike. Uh, I, I do uh, road gravel and mountain and uh, with uh, kind of my original love being mountain biking. And uh, I can't answer that question because I don't like to ride in Toronto. I uh, I actually yep. do everything I can to ride outside of Toronto. Uh, so I um, <laughs> my favorite my favorite places and the Don Valley is a fantastic trail system. I just I just like to get yep. out of the city. Uh, and so I, I, de- I generally tend to get up to, um, uh, Palgrave, Albion Hills, uh, for kind of like a faster ride. Um, I love going to, uh, Dagmar, uh, sometimes, uh, Hydrocut and KW is fantastic. Uh, and, uh, I'm from Guelph, so I love Guelph Lake. The trails there are wonderful as well. Uh, and, uh, a few other little favorites here and there that, uh, that I, uh, that I'm going to, I'm going to keep quiet because they're, uh, they're my favorite little, uh, <laughs> <laughs> undiscovered places so yeah, yeah. yeah anyway. for, mm-hmm. for all our listeners outside of toronto those are all places kind of within two hours we're we're in a pretty metropolitan city with uh in my opinion not enough green space to to yeah. go biking so those are great exactly. i'm a, a pretty avid biker myself well, so. we should go yeah. we should go sometime we will make after this podcast we will make plans to go for a ride sometime that, that would be great oh, uh, i love that idea in, in any case, again, I wanted to thank both of you um, for participating. This was great. And we look forward to speaking together soon and continue working together. Great. Well, thanks. Again. Thank-, thank you very much for tuning into this episode today. If you like what you heard, it would mean a world to us if you do these three things. Subscribe to the show and leave us a review. If you're listening to this and know someone who would find this episode valuable, please share it with them. And finally, please share it on LinkedIn. If you have questions or feedback or would love to learn how agencies or brands work with StackItApp, find us at www.stackitapp.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.